Saturday, which is rain. <laughs> get out of bed to come. So, you know, there's seeds we're planting all the time when we do those things. Mm -hmm. And um, they always bring a harvest in our lives. Yeah, I've got some good things this morning. Uh, I think I've got a video I think you're going to like and some exercises I think that are going to really speak to us this morning. But let me sit. It's, well, you can, you can copy this. If my chair's in your way, you can copy this in a second. Who wants to open up in prayer? Okay. Great. Uh, I, can, I can hit it. Somebody's going to open up a prayer with us for us. Who want, raise your hand. Who's ever going to start in prayer? Who's the prayer person? Who's opening? Who's opening a prayer? Oh, there we go. Go ahead, I. Yes. Amen. Thank you, Eileen. Amen. Well, um, let's just start with, let's just, actually, we're going to start with the board. Um, you know, we all need boundaries. And understanding the concept more and more as uh, time goes on, we all need them for difficult, difficult places in our lives, things that we never maybe even looked at as boundary issues. But, and that's what I put on the board. I put on the board some issues that would be boundary issues that, maybe haven't been recognized. For instance, dealing with a difficult person. Again, I could be that difficult person. Uh, such as somebody who's controlling my life, someone who's uh, manipulating me, somebody who's irresponsible. And I need to set a boundary with this irresponsible person because I'm taking over their responsibilities. And um, I'm stepping over a boundary and they are stepping over my boundaries as well, you know. Uh, it could be an abusive situation where I have to set up uh, a boundary. Um, two, um, we, have, we need boundaries to be able to say no to some of the demands in our life that we're saying, we're saying yes to some things that we don't need to be saying yes to. And, and what happens when you say yes to things you shouldn't be saying yes to. Why, why would you have to say, why would you have to be saying no to demands? What does that mean, say no to demands in your life? Demands in your life that you're not saying no to. How's that boundary issue? Mm -hmm. well, you may not want to get involved in when it may cause you some pain okay. if you did get involved. Yeah, okay. So yeah, getting you need to say that no. That's right. Getting involved in things that God's not asking you to get involved in, right? Get yourself in trouble, anything else? Things that are not in your backpack. Yeah. Things that are not in your backpack. Knapsack. Then you get bitter. Then you get bitter. I mean, embracing our limits. Embracing our limits, our human limits, right? And so, you know, I love the expression that the Messiah, some people walking in, the Messiah was the only one who never had a Messiah complex. <laughs> he 
did, you know, need is not the motivator in our lives. Do, do we understand that? I mean, I have to tell myself that all the time. Because somehow in our misunderstanding of theology, of our understanding of the Bible, need is not the motivator in our lives. Do you think Jesus was, met, was led by needs? When he, do you think he was led by the needs he saw around him? No. He could go to a pool and heal one person and not heal the rest of them because he was led by a voice. It was a matter of conviction and leading and obedience to Jesus. It wasn't a matter of just going around and you know, answering every need. And Jesus in his humanity had limits. Right? So we need, we need boundaries when we need better patterns of intimacy to, in a good relationship. In a good relationship, we have to have you know, boundaries to, um, to be able to respect each other's individuality and so that we can stay separate. We're not just a, a blob, you know, where there's two different people. There's no relationship unless there's two different people. So number four, sometimes we need a boundary to take a stand for our values. No, I thank you very much, but it's really not something, you know, uh, well, I don't think I'm going to go to that horoscope, you know, party. I'm, I'm not going to go to that. Thank you very much for tarot cards. That's not something that really is um, something that I, I'm really, in, in my life, that's really a value. Uh, it's not something that I'm open to. If you'd like to talk to me about it someday, I'd be glad to talk to you about it. But you need to say no. We need to be able to say no when it's our values are concerned, right? We need to keep someone from taking over more of my time, my energy, my resources than I want to give. What, what's the, the big word in that sense? Want. People taking over more of my time or limits or, uh, I mean, energy or resources than I, and that is the, that is the word, want to give. So how to, I think you said it before, Dana, about being resentful. I mean, how many of us don't know what it's like to give because we feel compelled to give, and that always produces bitterness, resentment. You know, that's just not the, that's just not, that's not the gospel, and that's not, that's not the spirit of God. Now, I'm not going to say that there aren't times when the spirit might lead us to do something or give ourselves in some way that we're not particularly like, it may cost us something to do it. But there our want is involved. What we want is to be obedient at that point. But we're not doing things because, so what are some of the things that cause us to do things that we don't want to do? What are some of the what are some of the compelling reasons we do things we don't want to do? Fear. What do they fear of? Fear of being abandoned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fear of abandonment. Keep the peace. People pleasing. People pleasing. And you know, you know, we know this. We know these things. But honestly, the big key is awareness. Isn't the big key awareness that we're what when we're doing it that we're listen guys denial is a part of the whole world we're living in and we're really not aware of how much we try we're keeping light and truth out of our out of our own lives that we really we really are keeping things away from our consciousness that we really don't want to face 
And when the Bible talks about darkness, I think I said it last week, it's not just talking about darkness in a matter of this is evil and this is bad. Darkness is a matter of the sense of, we live in a sense of denial, uh, of, of not really wanting to face the truth. And that's why the answer really is um, grace and truth. We need truth. We need grace and we need truth. So, um, so one of the ways that um, one of the ways that we have uh, we set boundaries is by conversations. And I, I think looking at the woman in the mirror and uh, kind of being in the role I've been in for some years, I can tell you that this is one of the biggest issues. And I see in the lives of all of us is having these conversations, having a difficult conversation. Uh, how much we don't, how much, we, how many love to have a, a confrontation? How many, you just love it, you just can't wait. And there are people that really want, really enjoy confrontations, you know. Um, but for the most part, and I just give me a few minutes, before, just give me a few minutes because I really feel like. I, I came to some conclusions scripturally and, and why, it's, why it's true. Um, I came to the conclusion, you know, I, oh, let me start by saying this. I was reading a, a book many, many years ago. I started, you, you can see I've been in it a little bit, a few times. The thing is gone, the pen, whatever. It's been, been in it for a few years. And I remember reading a dialogue between, they had a dialogue between a husband and a wife, and they were wearing all of these manipulator masks and trying to control each other, and then they, one would play the victim. Everybody, you know, trying to get their way in a conversation. And honestly, everybody should, be, should read this book. And That's another book that should be studied. We should have a small group for this book. It's The Victim, Rescuer, and Controller. I think I pulled it in one of our meetings. Did I not? Yeah, I did. Okay. And I've thrown it into the pulpit a few times on a Sunday. And I remember reading at one point that the husband and wife were, the whole argument was escalating. And, you know, well, then if you don't think I'm a good wife, why don't you just go find one? And the whole thing is now really escalating. And the author says something. He, he says that suddenly, and I wonder if I can actually read the sentence if it would make sense. Hang on, hang on, because this is a, a really important I think this is really important. She's threatening suicide now to him. Her total helplessness and apparent vulnerability take their toll on him. Her suicide would destroy his image. <laughs> I mean, it sounds weird, but she's threatening now, and now he's got his identity is in the fact that he's a good man, and now he's threatened by her saying such a thing, okay? His fear of this and his need to avoid his guilt force him to tell her what, what she wants to hear. He takes responsibility for her pain and tries to handle it himself. He doesn't reveal his fear and guilt, but shifts now to the face of the rescuer. Now she's been victim, and now he's nervous, okay? And now he's going to rescue her. The complete contradiction between what he's about to say and what he said before is denied. And he's, everything they've just said and all the things he threw out before, now he's, it's, it's like he's trying to deny he ever said them. For now they're moving rapidly to safety with their pain tucked away. That sentence has, rivet, has bore a hole in my head for maybe 20 years. And a few things Henry said and a few things, I don't know, that came, see, kind of came together 
kind of brought me to this place. And, and this is what, Lord, help me to be able to put this in words because it's, it's, you know, they wrote a book called Safe People. And there's an article in there about safe churches. And, and this is what I came to realize. In the garden, the problem is that after the fall, we as human beings lost our safe place. We, they became afraid and they hid themselves. And I realized that one of the problems, well, we're talking about conversations, but even bigger than conversations, at the heart of every one of us is a sense of wanting to feel safe. Now, that may just be words to you, but it's a sense of which we have a sense of well-being, a sense of you want to call it peace. It's like whatever you're going through, there's a part of you that is always trying to get back to the safe place. Now, you, you may never have thought about it. Uh, I want you to think about it. But the problem, the problem after the fall was, exactly, we lost our, we became afraid of God and afraid of each other. And now, how do I explain it? When you've got something going on in your life, there is a tendency in every human being that, that is trying desperately to fight our way back to that, to that place. Now, I think I've told you this before. I have a, um, Rachel and Joanne have done a favor for me, and they have taken a slice of this piece right here with the father putting his hands on the prodigal son, and I have it everywhere in my house. I have it on my phones. And this, to me, is my mantra. I live with this. I call this home. I call this is home. Where I am at the feet of Jesus, I've got, remember, what's going on here? He's got everything he needs. He's loved. He's totally secure. All the resources of the Father are his. That's what home looks like for your inside. It's, it's a safe place. It's a sense in which in our heart of hearts, we're, we're running back to, well, we can take a deep breath and say, and now it's more felt than taught, um, but if we can just start being aware of it, um, I, I hope, you see, the Bible doesn't say the first step is get better. The Bible says the first step is get loved and then get better. Religion says get better and then you'll get loved. And that's why you go into 12-step recovery rooms and somebody's saying, you know, I feel I failed, you know, I'm a miserable fail, a failure, the person is feeling shame and condemnation, and then somebody takes them into one of those rooms and what happens? One person after another gets up and says, I'm such a failure. I fa I'm a failure. I, you know, I've, I'm so ashamed. And all of a sudden, there is now safety to that person that now I, can, I don't have to try to live up to some perfectionistic, the, the, vo the critical voices that, that come to us since the fall. Now suddenly, 
all, it, it actually diminishes those critical voices that everybody hears because it is now, it has kind of brought us to the place where it's okay, it's safe to be, it's safe to be imperfect. Listen, imperfect is the best you're going to get in this life. Write that down somewhere. Imperfect is the best you're going to, this is not the, this is not the age where we experience perfection. Imperfection in yourself and in everything and everybody around you is the best we're going to get. Now, this is the problem. When we lost grace in the fall, we lost truth. Okay, so what does that actually mean? It means that you and I need, we need that love and that safety and that grace, but I also need truth in my life. In other words, if Adam and Eve had not fallen, they still would have been growing and learning. But when they were growing and learning, if they, if they tried to um, uh, you know, sing a song and miss a note, they would sing a song and miss a note, and, try, and then they would, do it, they would just do it again. Because the issue is solve the problem, learn, take another step. But because of the fall, it's you idiot. You missed, you, 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 you off key. You idiot, you missed the ball. You idiot. You see, it would have been void. If, if Adam and Eve had not fallen, that dark, critical voice would have been gone, and we would have been growing in truth and learning all the time. But you see, we need truth. I need somebody to say, hey, Linda, whoa, you're getting close to the end of that platform. You probably need to step back a little. Oh, gee, thanks. Thanks for letting me know. You and I need truth, and we need feedback from other people, we need the grace of the, of the safe place and we need the, the truth to help give me feedback so that I can grow. And that's why in every difficult conversation, it's not first about the information, it's not first about the material or the context. What it's first about is I want to tell you what's going on in a difficult conversation. The real message in a difficult conversation is you're not good enough. The real problem in a difficult conversation is the message that's not the message. And because we're always we're always dealing with getting to that, is this a safe place or am I? What's going to happen to me here? Because there's something in us that again we've lost the safe place since the fall, and where and it, it's given us a fear. And one of the things that we, once we get our safety in Christ and in those people that God has given me, once I get great, when I get safe in grace, I'm loved, I'm accepted. Do you know what salvation does? It answers the core question. You're good enough. And that's what we're all trying to find out. Uh, maybe this doesn't ring for you, but I promise you it's true for every one of us. You are now the righteousness of Christ. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It sounds theological. What it means is your goodness. Now, because that's out of the way, and you're loved, and you're good enough, now let's solve the problem of Jesus. Now, let's get at the problem. Let's get at the things that we want to grow. But you're not going to grow. You're not going to grow. In this video, if this is going to help you more and more, you see this little video. I think you'll see some of what I'm talking about in the video. But until I feel safe, I'm never going to hear. 
what you're trying to say to me. Because the real problem in a difficult conversation is not the material. The real conversation is the safety. And that's why you're going to hear this, you're going to hear this fellow. He's not a Christian. I think it's a great, great little video. But you can't talk about the content until you're first connected with the person. And so what I want to say is this, that have learning the skills of having difficult conversations is, I want to tell you, is probably, I don't know what to say. It's up there. One of the biggest things you can do to possibly have a life that has got freedom and peace in it. Because is there not any day that goes by that we are not carrying some relationship around in our head? As human beings, it is constantly. And, and again, I repeat over and over again that I see it all the time. It's because we hide and we're afraid of the conversations and we're avoiders. Turn to somebody and say, I, I don't know, I think she might have met you. Because we're avoiders, avoiding will never get rid of your pain. Never. It never gets any better. In fact, you have a rain check on that pain. That pain is increasing, and either you handle it in the beginning, go through the pain of having the difficult conversation, but we're going to learn how to do it more painlessly, or you get to have the pain of not having the conversation and reaping the harvest of living in the darkness. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that a great choice? That's our choices. That's our choices. And the church doesn't understand how much the Bible, how much Christ himself told us how important it is to be having direct conversations, going to each other, and having difficult conversations. But I want you to just pray about, please pray about, ask the Lord to talk to you about the sense of safety. You, when you start to get a hold of it, you realize, how many are aware when you've been in a very heated conversation that there was a part of you that wanted to get to safe ground? Am I right? What did that feel like? What, what, what was going on that you felt like that? Let's dialogue that, about that a minute. You're in a conversation. It's escalating. Sorry? You want to run and hide. I mean, fear takes over, right? Panic. So, sorry? And then you say things you don't really want to commit to. That's right. That's right. Just to end the conversation, end the Get me out of this. And, ha- and, and then now you want to like, well, I, I, mean, I didn't actually mean that. Again, remember, be, why? Because we're looking to get back to safety. And if you and I can learn how to deal with each other and help each other and be able to speak truth to one another, but understanding how important it is for us to feel safe, to to cultivate the environment of safety while we're doing it. Um, I I really think it will revolutionize our lives. We're going to look at a little video now. Mary's going to turn on for us. And uh, as I said, I came across this man. It's a little tiny five-minute video. He's not a Christian that I know of, but I love this little video. 
and I, I think you will too. It is precisely at those times that communication is most vital to achieve your goals, that conversations break down most dramatically. That's why difficult conversations are scary. The stakes are high. There's a high cost to fail. And yet, that's when failure is most likely. You have to show the other person you care. 
be firm, they will listen to what you know. When you do this well, it just seems so natural, so easy, so common sense, that the other person will say, well, we just had a great conversation. It was really sweet, it was nice, we solved the problem, and they will never know you're using anything. It's just being you, but better. There are things you can control and things you cannot control. You cannot control the outcome, but you can control the process. So let's look at what tools you can use to make sure you do your best in the I, the we, and the it. The first tool is listening. Listening well, it's hard. It requires listening to the other person fully, which starts with not interrupting them. You have to pay attention and be quiet. This is especially hard when he's saying something that really irritates you. Your natural reaction would be to stop him. Well, that's the moment of truth. That's the moment when you stop yourself. You stay quiet and you pay attention because you're really trying to understand where he is coming from. What would you like to have happen? So I would love for her to actually... The second tool is inquiry, asking questions. What do you think? Why do you think what you think? And what would you like, given that you think that? After you listen, you have to let the other person know that you heard what they said. Well, let, let me make sure I understand. You're thinking about promoting her, and she's thinking she's going to get fired. Exactly. So you summarize what he said and ask him, did I get what you wanted to tell me? And I tried to reassure her. It may be that by summarizing what he said. Mary, why is that sound good? Like? He didn't say something important to him. So he'll add it. This is a way for you to allow the other person, your counterpart, to share his biggest truth with you. It's a great thing to want. And it's totally out of my control. I can't help you. The next step of the conversation is to value them. You have to acknowledge that what they say is reasonable. You might be screaming inside, this is crazy. And maybe it's crazy for you. But I guarantee it's not crazy for him. That's what he's saying. So let me try something. Not as a crucial part, is to express your view safely. There's safety in I. When you speak in first person, you're not imposing your view on the other person. Can you understand it? You're simply telling them what you think or what you feel. Notice the difference between you. You don't know what you're talking about. And I don't understand what you're saying. Here's the situation. The next step of the conversation is to actually engage in a negotiation. You want to resolve the problem together. See, most people think of negotiation, how do I get what I want? I want to lower the price, I'll push you, and you know, you'll sell it to me for less, or I'm going to sell it to you for more. But this is really a negotiation. We're negotiating, how can we make things safe for both of us? The last step of a constructive conversation is to formalize the agreement into a series of commitments. It's very different to agree than to promise. Another typical thing that happens in conversations is we're so happy we agree. That's a great. Now we walk away. And, and we, yeah, we agree, but, but nobody knows what's going to happen next. So the last step of every conversation is always what are we going to do next? Let's make a commitment. And there's no commitment without time. So I said, by when? Can you prepare? Will we do this tomorrow? We'll meet in my office, we'll make this plan. So it's very clear, but it's not just a next step, it's a next step that we agreed and we both committed.
you can do a process check to evaluate how did it go, and if anything, you can learn to make it better next time. The three areas to check are the I, the we, and the is. Do you feel good? Does your counterpart feel good? Have you related positively? Have you gotten what you want? Has she gotten what she wants? So what conversation are you afraid to have? And what can you do about it? Let me make a suggestion. First, connect with yourself. Ask yourself, what do I really want? What do I want to express? What do I want to ask? How do I want to relate to this other person? Then practice it. So you can stay connected to yourself when the conversation heats up. And then step in. Yeah. I, I've listened to it so many times and you've just listened to it once. It's going to be on your group me. And let me tell you, you need to listen to it over and over and over again. Uh, you know, write down some What's your first? What's your first response to response to it? I'm thinking like, should I get somebody else to teach this class? I'm reading this. Stuff. Yes, push. Absolutely, absolutely. I, me too. That visual, I'll never get rid of. And you're pushing with your words, not with your hands. That's what we're doing. We're pushing, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm right. You think you're right, right? What else hits you? Mm. Yeah. How Defensiveness does that, right? We're defensive. Oh, it's a problem I have. Yeah. Problem I have. Absolutely, Eileen. What else? Who else wants to say? What hits you? Sorry. But we can do it. I want you to write something down. Successful people confront well. They could be successful in their relationships, in their professions. In every area, successful people confront well. The Bible tells you, and research tells you. You, I think that so many problems, I, I look back now and I'm a little clearer, and I look back now and I see some, I think about some problems maybe I've, you know, walked with with some people and I realized how much that problem was the, pro- the problem was the lack of being able to being willing to confront it yes. That's what we've experienced. That's what we've experienced. I just want to say one thing. Uh, no, I'm going to do it after you say it. Go ahead. I like that I said it to you. You know, I use your, your, your role, whatever. 
Exactly. 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 Well, that's what I was going to say. After Joanne said, listen, the second one is ask questions. Now, help me understand how that happened. Give me a specific where I did that, that it hurt you, so I can ask questions. Why do you, what, what do you feel, and why are you feeling that way? Help me to get inside you. Absolutely. And he said at the very end, did you hear him? The preparation you go through, you connect with yourself first. Because I can think of conversations that I was in that I didn't know what I was really asking. And I was, my mind was scattered. And I, I didn't really connect with me yet. I didn't really think through what it was that brought me to that place. What it was that was really bothering me. And what was I really going to, again, the issue is solve the problem. Turn to somebody and say, the issue is solve the problem. The issue is there's a problem. You know what anger, your anger often is telling you? There's a problem. So repress it, deny it, medicate it. That's what we do, rationalize it. Very often, anger is a messenger telling you there's a problem here. So, I'm learning this, and I'm trying to work on this, but I'm dealing with someone else who has no concept of any of this. Of course. And going by these rules that we're learning. Of course. So, it always, it's, it doesn't, it's not successful because it ex- implodes, explodes. Yeah, yeah. Well. That's good because actually, I think in uh, Boundaries, the book, Boundaries Face to Face, everybody feels that way now. You know, let me just normalize that for you. Everybody says, yeah, I've tried that. I've tried to, you know, we all feel like I've tried. I went to the person and I told them, um, but I will guarantee you. See, the issue is I can't control them, but I can control the process and I can control myself and my boundaries. So ch- the chances are one conversation may not do, is probably not going to do it. Well, you know, let's, let's decide to come back again and let's talk about this. Chances of doing it the first time are not going to happen. But let me tell you, if they're out of control, let them be out of control. The point is I'm in control of me and I'm not going to be out of control. And you influence the cir- circumstance when you don't do the dance with that other person. And you refuse, uh, again, too often we go with a thousand list of things that we're trying to tell somebody, and this, and then you did this last Christmas, and you said that to my mother, and, and you know, we have all list. Really, exactly. One, we, we, really, the conversation should be about this is the issue. I just would like us to talk about it so that we can bring a resolve that we can both live with. But now, if you're in a relationship with somebody who is controlling you with their anger or their screaming or their shouting, that's where my, that's where my boundary comes in. What my boundary comes in where I, I can say, um, I'm really sorry that you're, you know, I'm really sorry that you 
you feel so angry about this. And why don't we take a little break right now and come back and talk about it right now? Because honestly, uh, I, I just, for me, I can't really feel like I can really express myself when somebody's screaming at me or somebody's angry. In other words, the point is, you have the boundary. And listen, most of the time, the person who's going to initiate the conversation is the person in pain. Because the other person may not be feeling any pain at all. And they don't want anything to change because they're really happy with the way it is. And so what I see for the most part is that the con we have to be ready. I mean, I'm not saying you go in there like a, you know, uh, like with a sledgehammer. I think you, you try your best to bring it, have this conversation and to let the person know what your feelings are and how, you know, when you said that in front of, I'm really asking you not to talk like that to me in front of other people. It's very embarrassing to me. And now you've done this enough times. Now there's a consequence. If there's no consequences, I mean, I can't tell you, um, I want to lose my train of thought, Joe. So don't, can you hold on to your thought? Neither of us can hold on to our thoughts. So I mean, I, I, I having a conversation with each other. You go first because I'll lose. No, I lost it already. Oh, um, I can't tell you how many women I have sat with over the years who were in bad situations. And often the answer I got was when I tried to get them ready to be able to confront the the problem in the marriage, the answer would be. I have no career, I have no money, I have no place to go, I'm, I'm absolutely helpless, so I have to take this. I have met and sat with more women who have told me that, and it was like I, there was no getting past it with them. There was no getting past it. Um, I wish at the time maybe I was more helpful, I could have been more helpful to, or maybe you know, more un, um, knowledgeable even back then to help people, but. Um, I don't believe that today at all. I mean, I just believe there's always answers. And I believe that the influence we can have when we start changing us and start changing how we deal with that person um, can put, in, in a redemptive way, put pressure on them to be able to come to, and now we're praying about it and we're trusting God in the middle of this as well, right? And you know, the Bible's pretty clear. You go to a person and you go with, in a righteous situation, and they don't hear you, you go with someone else. They don't hear you, the two of you, three of you, take it to the church. I mean, if these, these Christians we're talking about here. Then it's kind of like, in other words, there's nothing in the Bible that says just be a, just be a victim and lay down, and there's nothing you can do about it. No, that's boundaries is... There's, there's, if you want to have your peace stolen and your sense of safety and your sense of control of your life, God has a way. I'm not going to tell you that when you put boundaries down, people are going to applaud you because they're not. And you have to, you know, I mean, I've, you all know my stories. You know, I, of course, my mom is my big illustration. When I put a boundary down with my mother, and if you don't think that was not, if you don't think that was hard, but it was after years. Now, this was, she's a lovely woman. If you met her and you knew her, she was lovely. But she came out of a generation. She didn't know any of this. I mean, she, she was just acting out what she knew and what she had learned in relationships through her life. I can see that clearly now. But, you know, at the time, I mean, she was, you know, her control in my life 
was a, a, a very big factor in my life. And, and the more I tried to please her, the more unhappy she was, the more she just would you know, tell me how unhappy, how I wasn't good enough all the time. And it was a constant sense of taking my peace away in my life for, for years and years and years, as many of you in this room know. But guys, I felt I got to the point one day where the Lord said to me, I've seen you humble yourself. I've seen you try, try to love her. Not that I did everything well or perfectly, because I didn't. But I tried. I desperately tried. But he said, I've seen you humble yourself. I've seen you, you try to love her. Oh, you need, to, you need to put a boundary down. You need to stop talking. You need to tell her that you won't. You, she can't be in your life anymore. Now, I don't know that the Lord said that or I said that to the Lord, and I felt the freedom. I didn't feel the Lord say, no, that you can't do that. And all I can tell you is I had the grace to tell this woman, I'm sorry. I feel like I've tried everything, but I can't have a relationship with you if this is, gonna, if, if this is going to continue. And this, I feel you're abusive. I feel, as, I feel like you're constantly, whatever I told her. So I told her what, I just couldn't live with it anymore. Now, you know, maybe that was, you know, I, I hope I did more I than you, but it was I can't live with this, and I can't handle this anymore. And, and uh, I had the confirmation of my husband and people close to me. I never did this alone. Don't ever do those things alone. You need to be process, processing this with people. Somebody will tell you the truth. Like, well, you know what? You really need to take a look at how you handle this with her. You know what I'm saying? But this was years of walking with safe people in my life, praying with my husband, asking the Lord what to do about it. And I couldn't believe I had the grace to do it. And then I told you, three months later, I, I, there was a phone call left on our phone, on our machine, our, our message machine, and it was my mother saying, I don't want to live life without you. Now, that was a shocking now, I didn't, I, I didn't know how this was going to end. I mean, what if my mother died? She was 80 years old, and I could go to that funeral and say, and I wasn't talking to her, and I could say, you could imagine the voices I'd be open to, right? Oh, then just tell everybody you're a pastor, and you're not even talking to your mother. You know, and your mother died, and you weren't even... I, honestly, I had gotten to such pain that I was free in my heart that I, was, I could not anymore live the way I was living in that relationship. And you know what? People that were close to the situation would tell you she changed she never again verbally talked to me that way again. She, there was, she, she knew at that point that the line was drawn. I mean, in some way in her, and, and you know what? I'm happy to tell you her last years, I, was, we, I had a fine relationship with. I mean, it was never the relationship I ever really wanted with my mother. How many of you had agreed that your parent was never really the, you know, you always wished it was a different relationship, a better relationship. But I loved it dearly. I know she loved me, but, but, and so the person that stands up and somebody that stands up in a family and says, this is dysfunctional and, and this, this is not, this is wrong. You know, you, you're not going to be applauded because it's, when you're speaking the truth, none of us really want to confront and really want to see. We're really not looking for light. Am I right? And... So, your question, Nan, is, what do I do with you? No, I'm not in control of the other person. I'm not con I don't know exactly how it's going to go. But when the pain you're in is enough pain uh, to cause you to, to um, you're, willing, you're willing to take this pain because you can't handle the pain you're living in. You're willing to take the pain of the doing something about it because you're not going to take the pain you're living in anymore. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that's what you are in control of. You are in control of that. 
Gigi. That's a good point. Me. That's a good point. Even from your, even, even from the past, uh, to keep that person from still affect that, right. affecting you today. Wow. So is that a mental boundary, that you don't allow yourself to go there? Um, it's emotional. Okay. So tell me how that how do you set that boundary? That's what I'm saying. Do you set it, it mentally? It took a long time. It took yeah. a long time. Um, but now I can say, you know, it, she's not here or they're not here to hurt me anymore. And why should I let those horrible feelings, which was giving me uh, depression, uh-huh. was giving me anxiety, was giving me everything negative that was not Have you, um, we can talk about it, have you ever been led by a, a counselor to do some physical act like go to a to that person's grave and write or, or yes. dig something yes. and put something in a bag and say, I'm, I'm burying it. Good. I have written letters, Good. them, left them places. I've actually had verbal conversations at the cemetery yeah. and just letting my feelings out. I, the more you, you yeah. try to keep it inside, yeah. the more it's going to fester and hurt you. Why, why should you do something mm-hmm. like that to so, so that person abused you and now you're abusing yourself. Basically. Yeah. Yep. And I'm not letting that affect Yeah, good for you. It, take, it took me a very long time. Good for you. Book, good for you, Gigi. This book helped me the most. And I've said that from the very beginning. That's awesome. From the first word I read. That's awesome. I'm so glad to hear that. It's just things that happen. Yeah, it's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, you know, that's the thing. I can't. I mean, honestly, guys, I told you, I've been in this stuff for decades, and I, every time I look at this stuff, it's new to me. It's like, what? Did I ever get that before? I mean, like, I mean, don't give up on this stuff. You really, you, you know, we need to just periodically be going back again, because while we're changing, new things are coming to us, because we're a different person coming to the material. And listen, guys, what we're fighting is the passivity of just being, just being passive and just enduring life and enduring relationships that aren't really what, what we really want them to be. And nobody's saying again, there's no perfect. There's no perfect. Um, but this is important about having the, having the, the, this is important about having the image of God in your life. I mean, God, Jesus was just not that walk all over him person. He was, I just love this little story. Um, I'm sure Jen wouldn't mind me saying it. And interesting. She was just talking to Lindsay, my gr- our granddaughter, 
about something and oh gosh I wish I could remember what she told me their conversation was about um, oh darn it escapes me now but Jen turned to Lindsay and said well let me put it this way you know he's not just loving he's fierce and if he wants it he's gonna get it and nobody's gonna stop him and she said mom I could see Lindsay's face just changed and Lindsay was really and and Jen said really he, he's it was like listen love and truth together a lot of us are just we, we just have embraced this well Jesus is loving and he's and he is he is and that love is so real but listen love is jello without truth and structure but Jesus knew who he stood for, knew where he was going, knew what his values were, and nobody was pushing him around, and nobody was going to make him do what he didn't want, that his father didn't, didn't uh, ask him to do. He was not some willy-washy personality. Where do we get this idea? I love it. I think it's, I think it's C.S. Lewis who says, is he safe? No, but he's good. I mean, in the sense that he is God, and he, and he is he is fierce, and he is—he stands for his values, and nobody's nobody's going to make him turn around and decide that maybe he's rethinking abortion a little bit, you know, or uh, you know what I'm saying, you know what I'm saying. I mean, and what do we look like? Do people meet that in us? Do people meet that in us? Because you see, we have trouble with we're either all love or all truth. You you know you know somebody who's all love and there's a split and all oh, they're just loving. You want to go to that? That's the person you want to go to when you want to feel good about everything. Just go to Miss Miss Love and she'll just oh poor thing oh it was terrible they treated you and God loved. I mean it's good and we need you know we need love and we need grace. Or you go to you know Mr. Truth. You know well this is really you know you need to really take a look at this and listen. The, the worlds have to be married. There needs to be one world. God is not schizophrenic. He loves and gives truth at the same time. And a lot of people are very split. Can you, okay, so you're loving and you're kind to people, but can you also take a stand with people and say, oh, you know what? I, you know, the I, I'm sorry, but I, I really can't get into that conversation with you. It's really at some place that I really want to, I really want to go there and talk about I mean, if you're not somebody, what are your values? Do you know what your values are? Do we know what our opinions and our values are? Honestly, most of the time, we don't even know what our own values and opinions are. What are you going to say, Joe? I was going to say that yeah. one of the things that I'm trying to just inside of the yes. Well, what was the original commission in the garden? What was the original commission in the garden? It was be fruitful, multiply, take what? Dominion. Take dominion. He is raising us up to be people who are like him in his image. We have his values and his opinions. And we are, listen, the Bible says that someday the saints are going to judge the world. I mean, he's looking for us, are yea to be yea, are no to be no. Do people know that? I mean, I mean, certain people should be afraid to go places with you in conversation because they well, don't go there with, with him because, you know, I know he's, he's probably not going to get into a conversation about that. I mean, 
we should have some of the, I don't mean being mean. I don't mean that we've, again, what we're all learning here, what this book is about, boundaries face-to-face, it's very, listen, we could all live in this for a year. This is how to have the conversation, and it's much more detailed than the video we just saw. And honestly, I think you could do yourselves a big favor if between now and next, our next class, if you got in small groups and you started to really live in this book, with each other, how to have the difficult conversation. And this is, about, this is about boundaries again. This is about knowing who I am, knowing what my values are, not being somebody that can be manipulated or controlled. And now if my mother was controlling and manipulating, do you know that I was allowing her to sin and that I was hurting her soul? It isn't like you're on some sort of trip and you're like, well, I'm, you know, the new age thing. Well, I'm not putting up with any of that because I'm, no, it isn't that kind of a spirit at all. It's like, you know what? It's not, even, it's not even good for you. There's no relationship here. It's not, this is not serving the kingdom. This is not serving love for either of us. And, and honestly, and, I mean, if it's true what I believe, that powers broke off of her, then she became free to be able to. The, the, when you keep letting somebody, and this, this you know, there's, there's plenty of scriptures. I've got to find the one in Ezekiel. Do you know the scriptures in Ezekiel? That if you keep... Uh, if you don't, if you don't speak up to, to speak up to somebody who's sinning, then the blood's on your hands. Uh, and I'm paraphrasing it poorly, but that's basically what it's saying. Where do we get this idea in the kind of theology that we have? You know, we're just kind of all, oh, we're just all, you know, that's fine, it's good, everything's. Listen, there's a lot of things God hates. We should be people that hate Him as well. Any other comments? I- I want to make sure I've hit anything I wanted to say about that video, and you're gonna you're gonna have it. So, yes, mm-hmm. sure. Yep. Honey, you're great at that. I have to tell you, you're great at that. Yeah, on listening. Yep. Especially was I caught myself doing selective listening. Right. Which is I listen for one word and then I I draw react of myself yeah. and I want to use negativity against that word. You know, and when he's using the pushing, you're really pushing back because you're not listening. You want to be heard. And I think the biggest thing you know, I've always seen with in the listening, is that you're really not listening? No. Because your mind is already, I gotta say this to that person. Yeah. I gotta say that. Well, you're I'm thinking about what you're gonna say. Yeah. I'll be a good person, I'll listen for another minute. Mm-hmm. But uh, I've always been stuck on the listening piece. Yep. Yep. Uh, you're a good listening. You should be teaching the course. Honestly, you should be teaching the course, honestly. Yep. I think it's a life, life skill that you have to learn. Yeah, because the biggest thing is while you're listening to that other person, you disagree with what you don't see it the same. So for me, when I'm in that place and I get I fall into that trap, I just want to say, no, 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 it isn't that way. I just know you're seeing it wrong. I mean, like that that isn't what happened. I mean, you feel like you need to straighten them out. 
but yeah. like like the fella is, like the man is saying, but it makes sense to them. So listening and hearing, and again, again, remember the key. Solve the problem. There's a problem. So when you both can look at what is the, this is the issue for me. And when you can hear the other person and understand, let's do a win-win. Well, how will it, how will, what would you like to see happen between the two so we can both feel good about this situation? We should have the negotiator. President Trump should be there. I mean, it's a negotiation, right? <laughs> I mean, but really, and, and honestly, I think that, you know, I think I'm impressed with the fact that it, I think he's exactly what he does that's succeeding. I think it's, you know, it's not like trying to, I don't think it's kind of negotiate so that you, you know, you push the other guy down and you're stepping all over him. It's like, what can we both work out here? Then we both walk out of that this room and I feel good about me and you feel good about you and we've come to some conclusion that, you know, now you're not going to get there all the time in a foreign conversation. So, you know, let's, especially if we're talking about marriages, you have deep-seated issues with people. Uh, so we need to work in the material, stay in the material a little longer, read and, and you know, pray about it. But the point is this, I, th I think this morning we want to start with the point being that we don't want to sit back and just settle. Let's learn. This is a skill that we can do, that we can, we can make our lives better and the people we're in relationship with, we can make things better. In the church, we want this kind of a culture, that we learn how to have difficult conversations. We don't want anybody walking away beat up. We don't want anybody, like we, well, most of us have walked through conversations where somebody left and, you know, they, they were beat up for it. We want people, each person to walk away feeling like they were heard. Now, maybe you agree to disagree at that point, but at least you're beginning the conversation and you have allowed that person, you know now what you'll live with and what you, you're, you can't live with. And you've brought it, you have brought, you can make, you brought this pain Other, 
we have of that other person. Oh. We solidify that. And how's that person going to deal with it when you, they, they can't you, you see them in a certain way every time you approach them, you're approaching them with that picture of them. Yes. And how many times, I mean, the word assumptions, I have found myself so many times assuming, being so sure I was right, and then talking to somebody and saying, oh, I didn't exactly see that. I didn't, I didn't know that you were, I didn't hear that, I didn't. And so we walk away and we just get, it gets darker in us and then we get more and more resentful. Did you take one home with you, Gigi? Yes, I got one. Okay, take one home. Now, guys, this is a fantastic. Yeah. I'm going to go back to something you said earlier. Okay. I've got to help inherit in every single human being that you need to get to faith. So I, as I was speaking, I if we're, who know the Lord, come into a conversation, you need to tell strangers who don't know anything about anything. And that's in our mind that everybody, but everybody, even that person doesn't know anything. Like they have to, they, they're looking for safety. Like and you're approaching the situation that way, it diffuses. Because now you know your goal is getting the safety first before you even have that. So what did he say? He said, don't go to the content Right. Until you connect it. That's powerful. So, gee, I, I want to know. So, we come and we approach a person with, you know, you know, this your relationship with me really matters to me, and it's, it's, you know, I, I just want to make sure that we're, you know, we're, you matter, and, 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 and you know, I, it you mean so much to me. But I, I want to be able to talk. I want to hear your heart. I want to know if there's something that I need to change on, on my end. When you approach somebody and, and knowing that you're respecting uh, their need for safety, you think about it. Today, you know what's on your mind when you walk in here today and something is bothering some problem you have, something that's making you bow? You're at one point, at one level, you're trying to get back to safety. You're trying to get back to and so often, I can't get back to safety. It's, this is so real for me that Joe will say to me, when I'm out, quote, out, you know, losing my mind about something, I don't know what it would be like or something, I'm stressed about something or I'm upset, Joe will say to me, Lynn, go home. You need to go home. And I, wouldn't it be great if we could kind of keep that, go home and go back to your safety. So for me, safety, it's like, okay, take a piece of breath, go back home. That's my picture. Go home. You're in the Father's house. You're already good enough. You don't have to worry about trying to You're good enough. You're loved. You're totally accepted. Every resource you need is already yours in Christ. So now, oh, maybe I don't like the situation. I want something to change. Lord, now, now bring me back to the place where I can't control. Let, help me to let go and help me to take my hands off and be, wait on you. I mean, you got to learn what you need to tell yourself to get back to safety, get back to your peace again. Listen, nothing is more important than keeping your peace, living at home in that safe place. You know the prodigal went out to go try to find his identity and other things? It's like, where do you go? For me, it's very real. Like, I can find, like, oh, well, Linda, today you went out, fear took your hand. Sorry, Jesus, I'll see you later. Oh, I'll, be back. I'll be back. And I went off into far country with fear. Or I went off into far country with worry. Or I went off into far country with anger uh, about something. And so I said, what am I doing here? 
real fast over here make sure there's nothing else I want to say as you walk out the door 
And what do you feel? You feel a little bit what toward having a difficult conversation? Feel any difference to walking in here and walking out? Yes. Feel a little more um, motivated to maybe kind of learn the skills? Looking at it differently? Awesome. Yes, Juanita. More equipped. This book, there's one thing about this book is there's so much information. It is all so good, but it's a lot. You, but if you do it together with some people and take a period of, take time. Don't be in a rush to do it. You don't Come back and do, have this done in January before we do the third stage. This book is, there isn't a thing he doesn't get into. This is a this is a Henry Cloud again and John Townsend. Yeah, this is. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Look at the bottom of your sheet. Everybody got the sheets on boundaries face-to-face, right? Did they get the... Oh, no, I didn't hand them out. Okay. This is a... That's why you don't have them. This is a, uh, an outline of the book, Boundaries Face-to-Face. Oh, so it, it helps you... So this is going to help you cut through all the materials in that book because there's so much material. It tells you the elements of a confrontation, the tools... Maybe we'll go over this a little bit too next yeah. week. Real, oh no, maybe we'll do that. Um, but at the bottom, uh, I want to read you what it says at the bottom of the, uh, the last page, the very bottom. It says this Please be patient with yourself and the process. This is not the way of the world, it is a biblical process. It will feel strange. However, God calls us to speak the truth in love, and this process works. Thanks, Doug. Speak the language that will best suit yourself and the person that you want to confront. Let me read you a sentence I have from um, Henry. I really need you to be looking at me and and hear this, because this is really important. Okay, listen to this. A boundary conversation is very difficult because it feels unnatural. And it is unnatural. It, in that the natural person within us does not think this way. Your flesh, the natural man, does not think this way. On our own, we seek to protect ourselves from discomfort. Now stay in the safe place. I'm, this is not safe. I'm not coming out here. We, try, we want to protect ourselves from discomfort because we are weak in our natural selves. We don't want to be vulnerable and emotional in a confrontation as we might be hurt. That is why we need grace to do this. Let me redo that again. Do you understand it's not just you? Let me normalize for you that this is a process that is death. We need God and we need grace because it does not come natural to us. Look at the world we're living in. Would you please tell me, do you see... Do you see the smartest of the smart? If you don't have the grace of God, if you're not following following biblical principles, a boundary conversation is very difficult because it feels unnatural. And it is unnatural in that the natural person within us does not think this way. 
on our own, we seek to protect ourselves from discomfort, trying to keep our well-being. We're trying to keep in that, we don't want to, we want to stay safe. I don't want to, I want to keep my well-being. That's my biggest thing going on in my life all the time is trying to keep myself at that place of well-being and keep myself in that place of safety because we're weak in our natural selves. Romans 6, 19. We don't want to be vulnerable and emotional in a confrontation as we might be hurt. So this is your choice. You'll either defend yourself from being hurt or you'll let the Lord defend you from being hurt. You'll either defend your, you'll either be your defender to defend yourself from being hurt or we'll learn how to trust the Lord to keep us from being hurt. You know, I mean, well, first of all, he'll help us in a lot of ways from being hurt. He'll give us wisdom about not to go in places we shouldn't go. He'll give us the skills and the power to go to places and to be, I mean, even though you may tremble when you're doing something that you know is tough or you're speaking to somebody and putting down a boundary, but in the deepest part of your core, if you've worked this out with God and your safe people, you will be, it will, you'll, your body, you know, it may be the treasure in the earthen vessel. The earthen vessel may feel the nervousness of it, but there'll be a deep sense of this is right. There'll be a deep sense of this is right. I mean, don't forget, you're always going to have that earthen vessel. And, and there's nothing wrong with being an earthen vessel. But guys, you'll never keep boundaries. You'll never be able to have a boundary conversation without step one, which is connecting, having safe people in your life. If, you do, if you're not connected emotionally, if there's not a place that you, that you have emotional connections with people that you trust, that you can never do boundaries because you're too afraid of losing people. But when you have, a, when you have that core of that safe place for you, they can help you, they can love you and give you the grace you need and the strength you need to be able to stand up, to be able to stand up for that conversation. And so if you try to do two without one. What's, what do you think, your opinion, what's the deception factor relating to the I go home with you. Okay, I'm just curious. Yeah, go ahead. And I I say to myself, well, I'm connected. And you go about living the same style of life that you've been living that you're really not happy about anyway. Mm -hmm. But I'm connected. What do you do with the lie? Well, I think the issue is, the question is, are there a few people that you're really connected to on deep levels? That, that, well, that, that's the point. Are there people that really know you that you can bring every part of yourself to? You think about it. You have some relationships you can bring this part to, but you can't bring this other part to because, you know, um, oh, gee, I don't know how to give me an example. I mean, maybe, you, you know, maybe they'll say if you bring your fears to them, they'll be like, oh, come on, tough it up. Just trust Jesus, you know. Come on, just, you know, read the Bible and, you know, stop being afraid. And so you think, whoa, I can't bring my fears and I can't bring my vulnerability there, right? I mean, there are per- people that you can bring, but there should be a couple of people in your life, hopefully, if there isn't, we're gonna, you're going to get there, that and there's nothing you are not free 
to, on an emotional level to share with them. They know you deeply and you know them. Pastor James was talking to uh, some uh, prospective leaders in the church the other night, and he, he, used, he was reading something from Lewis and Clark, and it was very impactful. He said, this was a band of brothers, this was a band of men who were going into this expedition, you know, uh, um, and he said, he said that they had been together so long that if somebody coughed, they all knew whose cough it was. If somebody was walking in the shadows coming at them in the dark, they knew exactly who it was. They knew who the best shooter was, they knew who was best at, you know, blank. Um, I don't remember some of the. In other words, they knew each other so well. I mean, wouldn't isn't it great in the church where you say, hey, you know what? You know, uh, I may be good at helping people that don't know the Lord, but you know what? MJ is she's the she is the girl to go to. She real God, she got really gifted. Up. Isn't it great when the body of Christ says she's the person? Let's get her in this situation because she's really gifted for that. I mean, that's what we're supposed to be like. It's like, oh, you got that, and, 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 and Sue's got this, and so, okay, hey, listen, we need to get to Sue, because when it comes to this, she's, this is really an anointed area for her. Wouldn't, it, isn't that, wouldn't that be fantastic when the church got there? Isn't that what the church is supposed to be, Pat? But how close are we to it? We, you know, we have trouble even doing it in small groups. But I, the thing I'm excited about in City on a Hill is we're coming out of the darkness and at least talking about these things. And just the fact that we're saying this, and James was preaching about relationships, and we're handing out to all prospective leaders, they have to be in changes, they have to be, this material is going to be more and more uh, a, par, a staple in our, it's going to be a value, it's a value in City on a Hill. What do you think half of these men go off and have affairs? And they, you know, James told me, as the, the stat is there's 1,700 pastors that quit the ministry every month in America. Wow. 1,700. Wow. And I, I, I want to venture, I want to tell you one of my, my own opinion. If you're not connected, and you're not, because you know what? If you believe in that one man at the top and he does it all and he's got all the gifts, and he, can you imagine what you're doing to that guy? And then he doesn't have a safe place for him to bring his parts to. He's overwhelmed. He feels insecure. He feels like he, fa he failed here. I mean, it's a recipe for disaster. And that's why we have so many good men who enter the ministry and want to. But we personally don't really want it. We don't embrace the one man at the top. I know it kind of maybe looks like we have, but we really never have. Behind the scenes, it's never been that kind of a church. Joe and I have, you know, been in that seat for many years, but it was always with the team that we talked and prayed about any decision we made because we were very aware of how inadequate we were. And um, But anybody who thinks they're going to have all the gifts, imagine what this guy's supposed to do, preach it all, teach it all, do all the counseling, do all the business work, take care of all the finances, take care of, I mean, it goes down the list of what people are expecting a pastor. It's not a biblical example. There's, you can't find that in the Bible. They always got sent them out by two, two by twos. They were always a team. Uh, of course, there was always one person where the buck stopped. Somebody has to be at the wheel. Somebody has to be at the wheel. But that person at the wheel better be spiritual enough to realize they're just one cog in the wheel. And they need to hear from God through the rest of the body or, or you're in trouble.
So pray that City on a Hill, that we really, you know, and, and even the younger, younger folk here, and it's happening. I definitely see God doing it. Uh, the younger folk are feeling the need of it. And look at, like, I mean, even like talking to Jen, you know, she says, Mom, you don't understand. The teachers in the schools, people are coming apart at the seams. You know, these are educated people. These are smart people. Their lives are a disaster because the pressure that we're living in in the world that we're living in, if we don't get our sales, if we don't understand these basic concepts about the safety there is in Christ and with his people, we'll never be able to handle the stress and pressure that's coming in this world. We think we've seen it now. We haven't even seen anything yet, in my opinion.